what you're about to hear is unsupervised. Welcome back, listeners, to our fourth episode of Stanley Cup of Chowder's Unsupervised. We're joined by our usual crew here. Uh, you have me, Colin Beswick, hosting this week, along with uh, editor Jake Reiser. Jake, how you doing? I'm feeling a lot more relieved now that the first round is over. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. The heart rate is back to uh, pretty normal. Hell of a, a game seven. Uh, we're also joined by um, Adam as well. Adam, how you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, recording this on Thursday night at 10 o'clock, I'm feeling pretty wiped, having been up late, thinking about and recovering from the uh, adrenaline rush that was Game 7 last night. So I'm, I'm, I'm feeling wired, if nothing else. Yeah, hell, hell of a game to, uh, to cover from the press box, for sure, I imagine. Yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better experience, and I say that coming from the angle of a fan and, and being able to be around the attitude upstairs and, and chatting with, I didn't chat directly with any of the players, but being present in the locker room, you know, it was a far different experience than the elimination game last year, which I was also at. So I'm glad I brought the luck this time and, and we're looking forward to this next round. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. That was a roller coaster of a game, uh, just up and down lead changes. Um, Definitely lots to talk about there. Um, you know, anything that really uh, that stuck out to either of you about that game? Did, did you take away from it? I think the lack of finish from Toronto in Game 7 was absolutely astounding. And the way that the Bruins pounced on that, just, I don't know what happened. They played an incredible first 40 minutes, the Maple Leafs, but all of a sudden they just vanished. I don't know whether they went into like a checking mode, like, all right, we're going to play not to lose. We're going to just check for the last 20 minutes, hope that they don't score and go from there. But man, did the Bruins really capitalize on that. Yeah. And I, from looking at it from the ninth floor, I saw the opposite initial impression of the Bruins where they came out too strong in some instances. And, and we're, you know, it looked like Every shift, they were trying to win ten nothing on that shift. So, you know, if you had to take sort of a, a synopsis or takeaway of the first round uh, matchup, what would you what would you describe it as, Jake? Uh, a lack of defense, to be perfectly honest. I think that both teams, for as stout and young and talented as their defensive cores are, the offense has really shown whether it be. Um, the top line in the first two games for the Boston Bruins, Mitch Marner for the Leafs, Jake DeBrus coming onto the scene. I think the offense is clearly the theme for this series. Yeah, I uh, I definitely saw a big picture offensive series. I mean, clearly Game Seven's score result was a result of that, and or it was an image of that. And Games One and Two for Boston, where they racked up just so many, so many interesting goals to watch. Um, but I thought that Boston did a, a weird job of capitalizing on Toronto's defensive deficiencies in short bursts. Like, you know, games one and two were their own section of a series, so to speak, where three and four, you know, Toronto got their teeth back in the series and, and were able to do it. But they did it in much more metered doses. And I think that just tells a little bit more about the defensive differences between the two teams. 
where Boston is a little bit stronger. And so it was a little harder for Toronto to break through. Um, but I thought those bursts, again, we saw it right at the end of game seven, you know, not a moment too soon when Boston was able to take that third period by storm and, and just close things out. Yeah. I think my just high level synopsis of the series was sort of a, you know, tale of two first lines, if you will, if you want to get uh, poetic with it, you know, the first couple games, the the first line looked like the, the best line in hockey, like we're all used to. Uh, and then the following handful of games, um, I don't want to say they no-show because that's not fair. It's not true. But the offense certainly dried up a little bit. Um, and, you know, when they needed them, they came through in game seven. And on the flip side, uh, a lot of the, the talk about uh, the series from the Toronto perspective is, you know, whether or not Austin Matthews showed up or did enough. And I think that's sort of a key component of the series and that uh, the Bruins, especially Zdeno Chara, and uh, McAvoy were able to shut down one of the best young players in the game as well. So definitely a you know a key component uh, in their first round uh, series win. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, um, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, who we had as three stars for the Bruins from their first round matchup with the Maple Leafs. Uh, Adam, why don't you start us off? Who did you have for your third star? Well, this might be a little bit of a... A, a sideways choice uh, just because he ended up being a quiet presence, but definitely a substantial one on the back end. And I, my third star choice is Zdeno Chara for this series. You know, sometimes at, you know, 40, 41, he's looking a little clumsy out there, but what really matters is that he's those, those lapses are momentary and they're over the course of almost you know 26 minutes a night. So I thought Chara was key to, like you said, shutting down the offensive top line for uh, Toronto. But I mean, he, you know, he probably played against every line for multiple minutes each game over the course of the series. So I think he was a real key to Boston not getting too far behind. And, and again, towards the end of game seven, just making a huge difference in, in stopping Toronto from mounting any kind of comeback. Yeah, he was absolutely a you know, key component. Uh, like I said, not just against Austin Matthews, but as you mentioned, against really all the lines, you know, and, and sort of the intangibles too. I mean, certainly leadership there. A uh, guy who's been through plenty of playoff matchups in game sevens, he was definitely a key component. What about you, Jake? Who'd you have for your third star? I think Char is a smart choice for a third star as the defense wasn't amazing, I would say, during the first round, and he seemed to be pretty stalwart throughout the whole thing, albeit with a hiccup here and there. But I'm kind of going with a collective third star. It's a little unorthodox, but hear me out. When the Bruins felt like they were down and out, when they needed a shift to give them a burst of energy, when they needed something to spark them when they weren't feeling it, the fourth line really seemed to do the job, whether it be Sean Corrali or Nolachari getting goals, the hits the chances, dominating offensive possession. I think that the matchups that they created and the havoc that they uh, created for Toronto really stood out, in my opinion. Um, If you go back to 2013, the Merlot line that the Bruins had with Sean Thornton, Gregory Campbell, and Dan Paye, this is an upgraded version of that, and it's something that fits into the model of today's National Hockey League, where you've got a little bit of bruising from Nolachari, you've got skill and high hockey IQ from Tim Schaller and Sean Corrali. 
I really, really liked what this fourth line did, and it shows just how deep this Bruins forward core is. Yeah, Corrali, I this is just an addition on that too, Jake. I thought Corrali played an awesome third period in game seven, and not that he was invisible, but the fact that Toronto wasn't visible when the fourth line was on the ice was a huge positive. Yeah, the fourth line had a shift near the end of game seven where it seemed like they were on the ice for you know a minute and a half keeping possession in the offensive zone you know just a a really key time in the game keeping the puck away from um, Toronto's offensive players and like I said not that you know the Bruins looked great throughout the whole series but if there was one consistent I would say the fourth line was definitely the most consistent aspect of the Bruins team it's a great choice Uh, what about second star who do you have Adam uh, I got to go with Pasta here. And the only reason why he wasn't further up the list in, in the number one seat was, you know, I wouldn't say invisibility. Obviously, he had a big goal to pad the lead in game seven. But I, you know, his performance in game two was just out of this world. I mean, he knocked him, he put himself on several record lists, you know, being a top scorer. In, in over all time in the first couple of games of a playoff series and a single playoff game. Um, just he, he, you could see his effort level not waning over the course of the series. And, and at times his, you know, his grip on his stick got a little too tight, but you could tell that he still wanted to be a big part of the Boston atmosphere on the ice. And so, you know, when you saw him lull a little bit during the regular season, it was the same thing. he, disappeared on the score sheet, but he was still an effective four checker or he was still you know, an effective passer. So I think he really, he performed maybe not up to the score sheet expectations through the middle part of the series, but still managed to stay involved and stay focused on being an effective player. Yeah, it's a great choice. And I think we've seen it all year, but certainly in the playoffs too, where his, his, his game is certainly more well-rounded. You know, he's hitting, he's making defensive plays it's crazy, 13 points in the, in a first-round matchup. Um, and that, to your point, is with a few games where he wasn't necessarily, you know, a huge factor on the score sheet. You know, being able to cover his game with the hat trick, it's definitely a cool experience um, for me. I was actually packing up, ready to, to run down to the locker room when he scored the, the third goal and the garden went nuts. And so, you know, he, what an exciting player. Definitely a, a worthy choice. Um, what about... Uh, your second star, Jake. I agree with you, David Posternock. I think his suit and hat game alone elevates him into the three-star conversation. Man, oh, does that guy have some style. <laughs> I, I will say it. that I will say that maybe game seven could have mastered a little better, but the confidence level is exactly where it needs to be. So he could wear whatever the hell he wants. He's right. like a week younger than me, but I got to take a page out of his book on how to style because, man, did he look fly this entire series. But... I think just as far as his maturity level goes, one of his biggest criticisms coming off of last season was the fact that he just completely vanished in the playoffs. Did he have a big goal in, I believe, game six against Ottawa? Yeah, he did. And he gave his celebration of, listen, can you hear me now, crowd? Can you hear me now going to the boards? But I think the fact that he showed up nonstop in this series, were there lulls? Yeah, but that's because a hat trick every game is completely unsustainable in today's NHL. But the fact that he was effective in all seven games of this series, providing a padding goal in game seven, that, that hat trick, man, did that really cement that David Postonok is here to stay? I'm really impressed with what he did. 
I hope that the second round doesn't face him too much and that he just keeps rolling on that top line with Bergie and Marshy. Yeah, I think the, he's got to wear a hat uh, going forward. I think the hat's bringing him good luck along with those uh, those six suits he's got going there. Definitely a, a great choice. I think, um, I think the Boston faithful is going to have to start throwing some more fedoras on the ice so he has a bit of a bigger selection. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and for our first star, probably won't come as a huge surprise. Uh, who do you guys have as your first star? Well, this Jake. was this was unanimous. Uh, Jake DeBrusque, absolutely. Um, he this was his coming out party, if anything else. Just his forechecking, how hard he plays. He's literally on the puck every time he's on the ice, whether it's going into the corner to um, try and steal the puck off of someone's stick, on the boards in a big battle with his body, making plays with the puck on his stick he drives so fast and when he gets his legs churning he just moves i am wholeheartedly impressed with jake debrusque um if you can't question his maturity level now that was one of his biggest concerns as a prospect and the reason he was sent back to swift current two seasons ago he has matured he's found his legs he's been able to sustain it over the course of the entire season jake debrusque is here i'm sorry matt barzell He's got more playoff goals than you right now. And that's not to say that you're not a great player, Matt Barzell, but Jake DeBrusque is really showing off what he's made of. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add to that other than he was most certainly a catalyst. If, if not in other stretches of the series, the entirety of Game 7 when it really mattered. And that's why I had him at the top of the list. For me, it was a toss-up between who was more productive versus who was more valuable. And I want to say... You know, there are no MVP awards for a round of a playoff series, but I think Jake DeBrusque's performance in Game 7 was the most important individual performance of anyone else on the roster. And so that's why he's at the top of my list, for sure. Yeah, I can't argue that at all. I was joking around on Twitter that I, I hope he did his, uh, his stretches for that back exercise he had last night because he certainly carried the team on a few of those games there. And I, I just, my Lord, you talk about a guy who has a compete level I mean, talk about, you know, a high engine with him. Like I said, he was making plays where, you know, just making star players look silly blowing by them. He was all over the ice. Um, We all knew he was good. He had a great year here in the regular season. But I think he really put his name on the map in a a national level with this first-round series. And it's, it's really exciting to see, you know, what he's brought to the table. So that wraps up our three stars, you know, talking about Jake DeBrusque and some of the some of the highlights that he had. There's certainly a lot of big moments that stood out in this first round series. It wasn't without a lot of uh, highlight reel type things. Anything stick out in particular to you guys? I think that uh, Tuka Rask stands out for me as someone that needs to be talked about and not necessarily in a great way. Um, he seemed like he was fighting the puck from game three on. Um, I had the fortunate experience to cover game five, albeit a loss. And afterwards he said, I probably could have stopped more pucks with my eyes closed. When you're fighting it, you're fighting it. As much as it's a small sample size for Rask to have bounced back well after games like that in the regular season, every game counts that much more in the postseason. It brings you one game closer to elimination, every loss. So... As much as you want to see him perform as well as he can, he seemed to be really fighting it for most of the series. Yeah, and, you know, 
Tuca's going to face some rubber against an offensive team like Toronto, especially since they're make, trying to make up for other deficiencies on their roster. Um, so I'm not all that surprised that Toronto is able to put a lot of pucks on that and that many, I would say many of them, but that more than we might have expected went into the net. So I I don't feel as pessimistic about Rask's future in, in these 2018 Stanley Cup playoffs, but it was a little bit concerning to see, you know, especially, you know, mid-second round, or sorry, mid-second period of game seven, where you could see him making a few extra skates out to get to the puck, you know, behind the net or skating out to the middle of the circle to play a puck when Toronto's rushing hard, like wasn't in the middle of a line change. That started to stress me out a little bit. And I was worried that Tuca was just trying to get too involved in the course of the game. And I'm glad it, you know, he kind of leveled out a little bit. Maybe it was, I don't think it was anything that anybody said to him because, you know, patented hockey terminology, don't say anything to the goalie going into the third period of the game seven. But I, I just, I was less worried once the third period started when he had settled down a little bit, moving around in the crease. Yeah, Russ is one of those players where there's just there's seemingly no middle ground with the fan base. You either love them or you can't stand them or whatever it is. I usually find myself as as a moderate uh, when it comes to that stuff. I think he had you know some great moments and uh, you know he stole a game in there, but he also struggled at times. I think in Game Seven, it, it wasn't really one or the other. I think you know two of the goals were were tipped in shots that really there's nothing he could do that being said to Adam to your point I think you know for long stretches of that game some of the decision making especially with the puck some of the things where um, I thought he was a little bit shaky to use your term but overall he got the job done Um, they ended up winning the series but against Tampa Bay Lightning I think it's fair to say he may have to step up his game a little bit against a team that has you know Steven Stamkos and Kucherov and you know, point and all these offensive um, stars and, and superstars. Um, so he, he certainly could have played stronger, but at the end of the day, I think a lot of the the rhetoric we're hearing when it comes to him is probably a little unfair. Yeah, I'm glad he didn't take it as far as he did, you know, early in the series when he had to make that diving play just to, you know, push his own chip pass out of his crease or out of the slot. So when... That that was what I thought was coming next. Some some point in the second, it was just you know, it it evened out. Like I said, I think I think he did all right. I think he was getting a little excited, but he's got some experience under his belt. So I, I'm glad he relied on that experience and not his nerves. I want to pose a hypothetical to Bruins fans who don't like Tuukka Rask and think Tuukka Rask should not be in a Bruins uniform. Look at the Philadelphia Flyers. Great, great offense. Claude Drew, Jakub Voracek, Sean Couturier, Wayne Simmons. They've got great firepower. A young defense. Ivan Provorov, um, Travis Sanheim. Uh, they've got great piece moving around. Shane Goss fair. Oh, I, I don't know how I could affect Ghost Bear there. Really great mold there. But the lack of goaltending. Brian Elliott can't step up. Michael Neuvert can't step up. Alex Lyon. Peter Mrazek, they can't find a consistent goaltender. If you lose Tuka Rask, that is exactly what's going to happen to the Boston Bruins. Tuka Rask isn't the best goaltender in the NHL. Don't get me wrong. He certainly has his flaws. I think that he's a little streaky at times. And he's not a top five goaltender at the moment. But 
if you lose to Rask, you're going to regress and become the Philadelphia Flyers. Do you really want that? Do you really want to be on the edge of your seat every game, not knowing whether your starting goaltender is going to be able to handle it? You can have a lot more comfort in Tuukka Rask than you can with any of those goaltenders I just mentioned for the Philadelphia Flyers. So please, yes, Tuukka Rask certainly isn't a perfect goaltender. No one's a perfect goaltender. You're not going to get a Henrik Lundqvist or a Braden Holtby or a Carey Price right away. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a lot of time, and you're going to be left with a lot of shuffling. It's going to be a revolving door. Yeah, and there's a lot of chance of getting you know, getting a, a goalie to develop to that point in the NHL um, just because there's such a focus on having a cons- consistent, structurally sound goalie, which, which Tuca is. So, you know, when I said I was starting to get nervous about Tuca scrambling a little bit, when he settled back in, when he was making his positional plays and, and just getting back into his rhythm, that that's what settles down the team in front of him. And, you know, again, maybe not top five in the league, but top five in my heart for sure. I think he's doing a great job. <laughs> well, I think it's it sort of gets uh, lost in the shuffle there. But, I mean, Toronto is one of the very best offensive teams in the league. And I think it, it – that's probably not being talked about enough. They were going to score no matter if it was Rask or anyone else in net. they were going to find ways to put the puck in the net. And I know that doesn't absolve, you know, every single goal that went in, but uh, I think it's important. We keep that in perspective when we're talking about uh, his performance, but speaking in terms of performance and perhaps, uh, you know, a few players who we would have liked to have seen more from and who we think we may need to see more from going into the second round matchup. Uh, is there anyone that jumps out uh, in your mind, Adam? Um, I thought that David Backus was under uh, under visible. I don't know that he was underperforming because he was, you know, still all over the ice. But since Toronto was so quick, it was hard for I thought it was hard for him to make the smart hit. It doesn't mean that he didn't have the opportunity to make the big hit, but it probably would have put him out of position more often than not, especially if he missed because. Toronto was so quick up front. So I think his, the, the core of the game that he's been playing for Boston so far in his tenure here has been, you know, get deep in on the forecheck, knock somebody over and steal a puck, or at least make their pass uncomfortable or uncomfortably rushed. Um, and I just, I just didn't see that out of him. That's no knock on him as a, as a person or as a player, but I think, he just wasn't as effective as he should have been. Yeah, I think, you know, I noticed him for a few shifts here and there throughout the series where, you know, especially on defense more so than on offense, but I, I agree with the overall uh, choice there. What about um, you, Jake? Anyone that really stands out when you think about that? I think of Rick Nash, and it's really tough for me to say it because the role that the Bruins really got him to uh, perform in was that he was throwing pucks on net and getting points in the playoffs. It's not to say that he hasn't been making smart plays. He's still drawing penalties and winning puck battles and opening up space, but just the puck luck isn't there. He had a lucky goal in, um, in the first two games on the power play, being in front of the net. Yes, he absolutely earned that goal. But otherwise, he seemed pretty invisible on the score sheet. And that's really tough because for the price you gave up for him, Ryan Spooner, um, Ryan Lindgren, Matt Bolesky. Sure, Matt Bolesky wasn't going to perform like that. But 
I don't know. I'm not regretting letting go of Ryan Spooner. He didn't have a fit on this team, unfortunately, and good for him in New York. But you just wish that Rick Nash was providing a little bit more in the score sheet and um, less so just being there for chemistry for David Krejci's sake. Yeah, Rick Nash was someone that came to mind when I thought about this as well. And it's it's tough to be too hard on him because, you know, I think he actually led the Bruins in scoring chances in the first round. He was certainly getting, uh, you know, the opportunities to score and just, you know, you know, missing the net or, you know, Frederick Anderson made great saves. Um, so, you know, he certainly had some great plays. He also took, you know, a bad penalty or two in game seven as well. It was a little bit selfish. So there's some criticism to be earned there. I, I think what it boils down to with me is, is the same with you, Jake, is that he was brought in to be a difference maker. You paid a pretty hefty sum to bring him in as a rental. And I just don't think that in terms of the scoreboard, he brought enough to justify that yet. But I think Bruins fans are, are all expecting that he'll, he'll uh, break through in the second round here. For me, they're sort of a similar situation, though. The, the name that also came to mind was David Krejci, which is probably a little bit surprising given that you look at you know, his overall production in the first-round series. He ended up with uh, actually eight points in the seven games. But again, a lot of the, the scoreboard gets distorted because of the first two games where the Bruins scored approximately 500,000 goals. Um, I think he was really sort of just absent for long stretches in, in the middle games. And in a series where the first line was definitely the focus of Mike, Bob, Mike Babcock's um, defensive schemes, having uh, David Krejci show up you know, on offense would have made the series a lot easier. Again, not crushing the guy. Uh, he certainly brought value. He did uh, score some points, but I think – you know, he's someone that fans and team alike look to to carry a pretty heavy load, and I think there's certainly more room for him to improve in the second round. Um, moving on to the second round, um, want to do a quick preview of this. We'll be joined later on by a special guest from our sister site, Raw Charge. But uh, I think I can speak for all of us in saying we're all very excited for what should be a very, very interesting second round matchup with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, you know, the Bruins did match up well against them in the regular season. But as we all know, the playoffs are a whole different animal. You know, how are you guys both uh, feeling about the series? Any X factors that uh, you think are going to play into this? Um, I, you know, I think this, this is this is kind of speculation. But I, I think that the forward depth on Boston might actually outmatch Toronto this time. I'm sorry, I might outmatch Tampa Bay this time. And I say that because, like Jake's third star pick, the entire fourth line on Boston has been just, you know, successful in their own way. You know, they don't have to show up on the score sheet because they're a checking line. They're, they're not even an energy line. They're just a, you know, a mitigation line where they're cutting down the uh, zone exits for the other team and really making trouble for they made big trouble for Toronto in, in getting some of their backup scoring or their, their depth scoring going. So I think in a, in a, in a regular season peak of things, yeah, Tampa has been pretty deep, but I think Boston's had the opportunity to fine tune that over seven games against a strong offensive opponent. 
Um, and, and defensively, you know, it's going to be a much tighter matchup. So I think everybody's ice is going to get a little bit smaller. The time to make a play is going to get a lot smaller. Um, and I think, obviously, since that's the case, I don't think we're going to see much of those you know, multi-goal periods that we saw with Boston and Toronto. I think they're going to be a lot closer games on the score sheet. They're going to be tighter checking. And I think they're going to be, um, uh, I don't know. I, I want to say there's going to be a couple of games that go to OT because we didn't see that against Toronto. There's going to be some real tough battles. I think it's going to be the complete opposite of what the Toronto series was. And you're absolutely right in the way that it's going to be tight, low scoring, high hitting. But I think that plays right into the Bruins' advantage. I think that it's going to open up the opportunities for Brad Marchand, who's so crafty of a player. He's going to take advantage of guys trying to hit him or have already committed to a check and just stop up and deke around him. He's a master of the double back where he'll be skating one way and double back the other way and come back up to either the top of the point or to the other side of the ice. I think it works very well in his favor for guys who are going to try and commit and really put the body on him. And that's my X factor in it. The skill guys, the Martians, the Pasternaks, the guys who really like to be creative. It got stymied in um, the last five games of the Toronto series because Toronto was so fast. You couldn't catch up so fast. You couldn't be methodical. Uh, so I think that it's going to work really well in, uh, in favor of the Bruins, the fact that they're going to be able to kind of take their time and a little bit more evade those checks, open up space like that. Yeah, I don't have any sort of brilliant insight as to why I feel this way, but for whatever reason, I feel better about the Bruins going against this Tampa Bay team who is very good and shouldn't be taken lightly by the Bruins or any other team. But I just, there's something about the matchup um, between these two teams where I think the Bruins um, are going to, are going to walk away at the end of the series as winners. Um, I think they're going to be close games. I think it's still going to go. It's probably six games or so. Um, I think it's going to be great hockey. I'm really looking forward to it. Adam, I know, um, you won't be able to join us in our upcoming guest segment. Did you have any thoughts or prediction on how this series is going to go? See, this is so difficult, especially having been to a game seven, just because that's the first one I've been in a building for. And I think that's the most exciting hockey that there can possibly be. And I have a hard time seeing that game one through whatever against Tampa Bay isn't going to be exactly like that the entire way through. I mean, Boston's fired up. I can only imagine that Tampa Bay is fired up and they're a little bit more rested. My prediction, I think I mentioned it already, that I think there's going to be some OT games going through this series. I think game seven's going to overtime. And that's, I, I'm basing that just just because that these teams are pretty evenly matched on, on the forward depth. Tampa's had some benefit at their trade deadline of picking up some really strong defensive additions to, to shore themselves up for, for a long run. Um, and I, I think the Bruins are going to cut it off, whether it's in game seven or whether it's in extra game seven, if it's in game eight of the series, uh, I think Boston's taking it. But it's definitely going the distance. That's, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've given sort of our local perspective on it. Up next, we're going to be joined by Matthew Estevez from Raw Charge, who covers the Tampa Bay Lightning to get a insider's perspective on um, 
the series from him. Stay tuned. Take care, guys. Thanks again. All right. Welcome back, folks. As mentioned before, we're welcoming in special guests today. We have Matthew Estevez from our sister site at Raw Charge here to talk a little Tampa Bay Lightning versus Boston Bruins in the second round. Um, Matt, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty good after a, you know, a big win. Looking forward to seeing another great matchup with Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, that was, man, that was a phenomenal game. Yeah, I think uh, most people are probably on the edge of their edge of their seat. Didn't know how it was going to end, but uh, just fantastic hockey all the way around. Oh yeah, we've got so much to talk about about this series being Atlantic Division foes. Um, just going into the series, what did you, what would you think are the biggest strengths and the biggest weaknesses for Tampa Bay? Um, Tampa's biggest strength is their offensive firepower. Tampa is one of the deepest teams in the league when it comes to offensive firepower. They were the highest scoring team during the regular season, and they didn't click um, in the same manner that other teams did the playoff, like Boston or Winnipeg. But Tampa pretty much clicked how they always have clicked offensively. Uh, in their first round against New Jersey. Weakness, the defense is um, a slight worry. The top three for Tampa Bay is really, really strong. You've got Victor Hedman, who's a fourth candidate. You have Ryan McDonough, who's, who could arguably be, be a number one defenseman on many NHL teams. And you have Anton Strahlman, who, well, he's Anton Strahlman. After that, you go to, well, Dan Girardi, Braden Coburn, and the young Mikhail Sergachev. When you look at their ice time, it's it's a very, very start to different. Edmund playing almost 27 minutes a game. Strawman and McDonough are both playing just about 23 minutes, and then it drops the rock to Coburn and Girardi, who are both at 15 minutes, and even farther Gerberchev, who's not even getting um, 11 minutes, currently sitting at about a tick and a half minutes. So, the worry with, the biggest weakness for the Lightning is, can writing their top three defense get them past a Bruins team that is just as deep offensively as they are? Yeah, it's an interesting point because I think there's some similarity with uh, what the Bruins are doing with Zdeno Chara and Charlie McAvoy in their first pair. Chara's been playing over 26 minutes a night in the first round here. And, you know, as amazing as he is at 41 years old, you wonder as the second round progresses if that's sustainable. But you mentioned Ryan McDonough, uh, obviously probably the biggest name that moved at the trade deadline. How would you say that uh, he has fit in as he as he's adjusted to playing with his new team? Overall, he's been outstanding. Um, to go a tiny bit more in depth, he was a little rusty for his first, yeah, for his first few games suiting up for us. That's primarily due to he he hadn't played in a while due to his injury. He was still getting acclimated to how the Tampa Bay Lightning played defense systematically compared to the Rangers. And the way that John Cooper and his coaching staff addressed that was by giving him a very, very familiar pairing with Dan Girardi pretty much his entire time with us during the regular season until the very, very end last check two, three games. He played with Girardi almost exclusively just to get himself acclimated and used to how we play and stuff like that. And then near the end, they started putting in with Strawman, which many of us at raw truck were really hoping they would do because the McDonough Strawman pairing when they were in New York a few years ago was an extremely effective shutdown pairing. And it's been exactly that for us so far. Um, like I mentioned before about the, the differentiation yeah, minutes, 
McDonough and Strawman pretty much have almost exclusively played together through the first round of the playoffs, whereas Hedman has had a rotating cast of partners. Sergachev gets the low-end third-pairing minutes to uh, kind of fill all the extra space in. Overall, McDonough has been everything that was advertised. You know, McDonough wasn't necessarily the only trade deadline acquisition as well. And a guy that I don't think we've talked about a lot, we didn't do it on a charged up either, is uh, JT Miller. How has he fit into the lineup for Tampa Bay? So Miller was a late addition to the trade. Um, the coaching staff, uh, well, specifically John Cooper says he wasn't a throw in like some people. That. They, they specifically wanted <clears throat> Miller because they thought Miller brought a different <laughs> a play that Gladysaw Nemestikov didn't, which was a much more physical puck hound than what Nemestikov was. This is not to say Nemestikov was, wasn't a good puck hound, but Nemestikov didn't really have the size to impose his will on opposing players. JT Miller will just run through somebody if he has to. And putting him with Kucherov and Stamkos has been a revelation. He immediately meshed with them from the first game and has been putting up points ever since. And he has been a huge surprise for the Lightning um, and their fans because a lot of the fans were like, JT Miller? Okay, we know of him, but is he, is he good? Because we're giving up like a 50-point like a guy for this guy, and JT Miller is more d- demonstrably better than what Vladislav Domestikov was when he was on this team. Going back to um, the defenseman pairing usage how do you imagine they'll use the pairs in terms of covering the Bruins top line do you imagine they'll use the McDonough shutdown pair or will will we be seeing um, Victor Hedman going against you know Patrice Bergeron, Pasternak, Marchand? Cooper has followed the same type of strategy throughout the entire season and in the first round of the playoffs where the shutdown pair is McDonough Strawman and with Hedman thrown in there as well Hedman kind of get Hedman gets thrown wherever. If, if McDonough Strauma aren't out there, Hedman is out there. That's pretty much the strategy that John Cooper is doing. If that shutdown pairing's not out there, Hedman is out there because Hedman by himself is just that much of an impact player on defense. It doesn't matter who's on the other side. He's shown that the past three seasons that you can just put anyone with him and he will still be an impactful, positive shot share defenseman. Um, I think. At home, you're going to see a lot more McDonough Strawman against the Bergeron line because we'll control them. Away, when where Bruce Cassidy can move away from that pairing a lot more easily, you will probably see Hedman get thrown out there much more often. It just it honestly depends on how the game kind of flows and if it's a game that's stuck on the penalty kill for the Lightning or the Bruins, it's going to completely change the collection of it and all that type of stuff. But more than likely, you're going to see a, an extremely healthy dose of Donna Strawman and Hedman. Talking about the matchup as a whole, there are so many different pieces that you can point to on each team that make so many contributions for both sides. But who would you say is the X factor for each team, especially for Tampa? Who's going to make the biggest difference in this matchup? I've been on his horse the entire season. Um, but the player who I think is going to be huge for the Lightning offensively is going to be Braden. Braden Point has been a phenomenal story for the Lightning ever since he made the team last season at the camp. He's our shutdown center. He's a phenomenal player. He scores at a rate that baffles you at times. And he can go with anybody. It doesn't matter who he goes up, who, who he goes up against. He always plays well. 
he didn't have the same kind of offensive production that he's used to in the first round compared to the regular season, but he's, this is his first playoffs. He's still learning a little bit. And if there's one player who can definitely step up and be that X factor for the lightning, it's going to be great. We got a great series coming up. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think everyone's going to be on the edge of their seat for the whole ride through. What do you think is going to happen in the end? Well, Jake, <laughs> like I told you on my podcast, I'm calling lightning in seven. Um, this series is literally a coin. Like we, you and I, on my, you and I on my podcast charged up. We went down matchups for four defense goaltenders and special teams, and it really is a coin. It's going to come down to like the X factor question that you came up with. It's it's going to be Braden Point stepping up for us, or one of your guys, um, second or third guys who's going to step up and, and be that big man, whether it's Bacchus, DeBrusque, or one of the Nats, or Krejci. Uh, it's going to come down to that. It's it, I don't think it's going to be our star players who are going to break this series out. It's going to be one of our depth guys who's going to make the biggest difference moving forward. Yeah, it's absolutely. I think it's going to be just a great matchup. Uh, two really great first uh, first round opponents for the Bruins and the Maple Leafs, and now a very very good Tampa Bay Lightning team. Um, I got to go personally with the Bruins. Um, I actually think it's going to be Bruins and six. I just a gut feeling on that. Uh, Bruins matched up well in the regular season, but I do think they are going to be hard fought close games regardless. You listeners on uh, Unsupervised here can go check out my conversation with Matt on uh, Charged Up on his podcast. But I said Bruins in seven, and I think it's going to be such a tight game, uh, such a tight series, lots of hard checking. Uh, It's going to be really smart. I think John Cooper is such a smart coach, and it's going to be played incredibly highly just tense. There's going to be such high energy and such high tension between both teams. It's going to come down to the last few minutes of the last game, but I think that Boston has enough de- enough depth, and Bruce Cassidy uses his team so well-rounded overall that I think it's going to just put them over the edge in the end. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're all excited to watch the second round get started. Uh, definitely looking forward to it. I wanted to thank our guest, Matthew Estevez. For our listeners, you can find him on Twitter at Matt E-S-T-E-V-E-S 89, as well as can catch his writing at our sister site, Raw Charge, rawcharge.com and at Raw Charge on Twitter. Again, thanks for your time, Matt, and uh, best, uh, best of luck to your team. Game on. Yeah, it was great to come on here and talk to you guys. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Take care, Matt. Yep, you too. And we're back. Thanks again to our special guest, Matthew Estevez from Raw Charge for joining us on this episode. Um, Really looking forward to the second round matchup. We appreciate everyone tuning in. And as always, we welcome any and all feedback, whether you leave it on Facebook, on stanleycupofchowder.com, on our Twitter page at SB Unsupervised, uh, in the Anchor app, on the iTunes store. As always, we appreciate any feedback and ratings you can leave. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next episode.